Let me read it. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. Ecclesiastes gives us um, philosophy for life, <coughs> biblical philosophy for life. Um, some have thought that this was a pessimistic point of view, because um, looking at vanity and it sees life as vanity or useless, um, short and useless, like a vapor in a cold night is there, then it vanishes away. Um, life is like that because life is short. We need to make sure that we are doing things that have value. We're not wasting our time. And here's a point in, in that, right in that thought. A good name is better than precious ointment. There's a section here um, that talks about things that are better. And it's good for us to reflect on things that are better so that we are occupying our time with things. A good name is better than precious ointment. Um, what it's saying is, a good name refers to character. Um, our testimony, yes, our reputation, but that's based on our character, who we are within. Lose weight to, um, to exercise more, to get more rest, to be more healthy in so many different ways. Um, and those things are good, but what's better is our inner character. Maybe your resolution should be, uh, Nick was talking about, to read the Word of God through. And not just to read it for reading's sake to say I've done it, but to, to develop a character uh, more godly, to be dependent on God, trusting in God, uh, fellowshipping with God and communion with God. Those things are more important than the outer goals that we have. Now, we all have those, um, those outer goals, you know, this year. I want to buy a house, or I want to buy a car, or I want to invest, or um, uh, I'm looking to get a, 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 a um, promotion of my job, or um, I want to increase my clients. So all those things we, we, we want to add, we want to grow in. But what's more important than any of those things is who we are and a testimony that we have as we walk and as we live. So since tonight is prayer service, I wanted us to think about that in how we pray. What do we pray for? I want us to think about um, our, our youth right next door. How are we helping to build their character, not just dressing them up to look good and to, to wear nice clothes and to have, uh, you know, for the girls to have their hair and their face look nice and for the boys to have their hair cut and, and to, to look prim and proper. But how are we building their character? How are, what, what are we inputting into? How, uh, what's the message they get from us? What do we applaud in them? Do we applaud a character that's humble, that's seeking God, that's displaying godly character? Are we encouraging those kind of things? Are we praying for those kind of things uh, in, in our young people? Um, are we looking to, to build that in the long run? Are we looking to, to build what is of value rather than what looks good? Um, and so let's think about that. Let's pray for that. Let's pray for parents who are in that struggle 
to build godly character, uh, to model godly character to, to, their, uh, to their children, and to build that, and to be encouraged that this, this is a, this is a long-term work. It's not something that, that um, you know, you're going to do on Sunday and see immediately effect on, on Monday necessarily, uh, but you are, you are attempting to build that in them. Why do they go to school? Why are they studying um, and, and in their classes? You are trying to build them, to develop them, to be the kind of, of, of men and women that God wants them to be. Um, I have opportunity when, um, when Truth Seekers is not in session, the young guys um, meet with me and Brian and, and we pray together. We usually have a team of 10 or more. And I'm always, always encouraged by that. I call them my army. Um, and these, these, I want to build up young men. I don't see uh, four and five and six and seven, eight, nine, ten year olds. I see those who are ready to develop into the men that God wants them to be. And I think it's important for us to see that and we treat them that way. You know, um, when you have a little baby and you talk baby talk to them, but some parents are are smart enough to know I'm not going to start just baby talk. I'm going to talk to them the way I want them to develop so that they can develop the language and the things that I want them to learn. Uh, so in other words, you're thinking of the long term, not just the fun of having a little kid and a little baby. Now I'm thinking of developing that child to be the adult that God wants them to be. A good name is better than precious ointment. Their inner quality and character is more important than the transient things that they experience and they, they get involved in. We want to build godly character. So we want to encourage that. The second part of this verse is the day of death than the day of birth. In other words, it is better to be thoughtful of the day of death than the day of birth. Now, what is he talking about? That, that seems morbid almost. Um, we don't even like thinking about death as, as human beings. It's, it's like we know that's the end, and we know. Um, so he's saying it is better to have a thought. I think of it this way. Um, the day of death is our ending. The day of our birth is our beginning. It is important that we look towards the end of things rather than um, just the beginning. Let me say it another way. It's more important that we end well than we start out well. It's more important that we end well. In other words, end, finish strong. Finish strong. When a baby is born, there's a great potential there, and we rejoice in that, and that's good. But what's more important is at the end. How is their life going to be celebrated when it's all over? What will they have stood for? What will their life be built upon? Tomorrow will be um, my dad's birthday. He would have been, is it 93, 94? He would have been 94 now. Um, and so you think of his legacy and his life that he left um, and it's more important to reflect then on, have an eye towards 
what we are doing in our life, what we're building in our life, and what, what will stand, what will be important, what will be significant about what we have done, rather than just the beginning of things. Um, I, like, I like to watch a lot of sports, um, um, and, and you watch the beginning of the game. Everybody is hyped. Everybody is up to it. You don't know how these two teams are going to perform. And you look at the, the stats of the teams. You look at what they do well. You look at the stars on the team. And you're like, wow, I'm watching the, the football playoffs. And you see this team that just has all this talent on it. And then you see this other team. And you're like, how are they going to go? So at the start of the game, there's this great potential and expectation. But what's important really is how does the game end? Not who has the most all-stars on their team or what the statistics of each individual player is going into that game. It's how do they actually play the game and how do they actually leave the game at the end of the game? What's going to be the score? And so in our lives, we need to have an eye towards the end. And here's where Ecclesiastes is not just pessimistic. It's what it's saying is when we're trusting in God, we know we're on God's team. We're going to win right? And so keep that in mind as you walk. You're going to go through ups and downs, but keep that in mind. You're on the winning side. And so do the things that have value with that in mind. Um, we don't have to live, live a defeated life or def have a defeated attitude. We are going to rejoice. We are going to win. Things don't always look as they really are. Think about that. Look at us today, and you see just a few people here today, um, and you wonder, what's the strength of this church? What encouragement do we get? But they are not always as they appear. Things are not always as they appear. We need to be looking at how God sees things. What he sees is he has changed lives, and he has faithful people he is placing here. He has an opportunity and a job for us to do. He wants us to finish strong and finish well. He wants us to, to, to long to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And um, if we can encourage that and keep our eye on that, it's really not about <clears throat> how many people are here today or how many people are in our ministries necessarily. It's the impact that God wants to have through our lives that are surrendered to him. And the fact is, we may not know what that impact is um, at our death or at any time in our life, but God does. He wants us to keep that in mind, to be faithful until the end. As I, like I mentioned, I think about my father, and I think the impact that he's had on me continues and therefore, the impact that he has on my children, on his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, continues. Um, and so we praise God for that. We can rejoice in that. We long to be like that in our own lives, to, to be faithful to God, serving him, and having that impact that, um, that he, has, he wants us to have. To do that, we have to have faith. We have to have faith. And to, to think about these two ideas, to look to the uh, inner, building the inner man instead of the outer man, um, the good name is better than precious ointment, to look to the building that inner man rather than just the outer man, 
oh, we really have to have faith. We need to be telling our, 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 our girls, our young, our, our daughters, yes, you want to be pretty. You want to look like a princess. But what's more important is your attitude and that inner quality that you have that, that actually reflects Christ. We need to be encouraging that and um, supporting that. Uh, so many people say, oh, you look so cute. Your hair looks pretty. Oh, okay, that's fine. But there's going to come a day when you get sick and you won't even have hair anymore. What is your inner quality? What is your husband going to rejoice in the most? That you're the prettiest woman in the world or that you are the Proverbs 31 type woman? What is God going to rejoice in more? That inner quality that he has built in you that reflects his, his, um, his qualities and, and who he is. And then we're looking towards the end, towards the conclusion, not just how things appear to be right now. I don't know what the score is now. It doesn't matter. We're going to win at the end. <laughs> All right, I told you I watched the sports. One of the sports things that happened this weekend is this team was losing 27 to nothing. And I didn't even think they were a good team, actually. I didn't think they belonged in the playoffs. It was Jacksonville, if you want to know. And they came back and won. They came back, and I had to watch. I watched that game and fell asleep and didn't see the end of it. Next day, I saw the score. I was like, what? And I turned back, and I watched the highlights. How did they do that? So they weren't so much concerned what the score is right now. It is we're going to keep fighting. We're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep building, and let's see what the score is at the end. They, they won 31 to 30. 27 to nothing. They won 31 to 30. <laughs> the day of death, then the day of birth. <laughs> In other words, the score at the end is way more important than the statistics at halftime. Way more important. Let that be encouragement. Let us pray with that in mind as we pray for others, as we pray. We pray not just for their well-being physically. We pray for their life in the long term, that they get a glimpse of what God wants them to be and be encouraged in that. My, my purpose in this mini-series that I'm on now is just to encourage you, encourage you for eternity, not just, you know, you go through ups and downs. You're going to feel tired. You're going to feel weak. You're going to feel discouraged sometimes, but be encouraged because of the long run. Good evening, saints. <coughs> we finished the Gospel of John last week. We want to start our meditation on a new book. So we'll be going through the um, book of Hebrews. <laughs> yep. Well, my my goal is to pick a long book. That way, I don't have to pick another book for a while. So, the book of Hebrews, we're gonna just keep working our way through. And we want to understand what the purpose of this book is. That's the biggest thing. What is the purpose of this book? And so let's just read through this first chapter and see if we can get a little bit of the purpose. Just focus on 
some different verses. Now, as we go through this book, one of the things I want to point out is there will be parts where the writer is not explaining, he's telling. And when he's telling, he's explaining the purpose of the book, right? First four verses of this book. Chapter two, first four verses of that, right? There are some verses where he just starts explaining. And he's, you know, you'll see it. And so when we look at this book, we're going to see God speaking to us. We're going to see something about different ages. We're going to see something about Jesus. So those three things are going to be part of his purpose. So let's just see what we got here. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of unright uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. To which of the angel has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? What is he talking about here? What is he saying? Well, you know, we got this word, three topics that I'm going to say that this book is about. It's about the word or faith that's produced by the word it's about different ages and it is about Jesus and let's just look at these different topics and let's just look at the minor one first the minor one we're going to see here is different ages where do we see different ages in this section he says long ago at many times and in many ways verse 1, but in verse 2, in these last days. What did he do in the previous ages? He spoke by prophets. What is he doing in this age? He's speaking by his son. It is important for us to recognize that throughout this chapter, he is telling us that we need to be listening to the son. Why? Because the son is he who, through God the Father, communicates to us. And as we look through how 
how he communicates God's word, he says he communicates God. He's the heir of all things. He is the radiance of the glory of God. What's the radiance? The radiance is the glow that you see. He's the radiance. He's what you see. If you look at the glory of God, you see Jesus. He's the exact imprint of his nature. People say, I worship God or I believe in God. Stop that. You believe in Jesus? If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. How can you be offended by Jesus but say you're not offended by God? You have fooled yourself. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now we're starting to get more into his nature. What is the nature of Jesus? Well, the nature of Jesus, we first need to learn, is that Jesus is God. He's the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's the one who created all things. He's not like the angels, the writer of Hebrews said. He ain't like the angels. And he's saying, I'm not saying angels are bad. They're good. They're ministers of God. They have not sinned. They do his will. But they're servants. They're servants. He says, which of the angels did God ever say, this is my son? To which of the angels did he say, I have a special relationship with you. I'm the father, you're the son, you fulfill my will. He even points out the angels and tells them, worship this one. But he says to the son, God the father says to the son, your throne, O God. God the father calls the son God. God the Father says, you have a scepter of uprightness. God the Father says, you love righteousness and hated wickedness, therefore God, your God, me, have anointed you beyond your companions. Now, if we really want to be spiritual here, we can say beyond his companions because there's two natures of Jesus. One is that Jesus is fully God, but the other one is that he is fully God, he's man, but he transcends mere man. It's a reason that we don't call Jesus prophet in this church. Jesus is a prophet. But it's not good enough to call him a prophet because he's the source. Most prophets are just the messenger. Jesus formulated the message. says, they will perish, but you will remain. You are the same. Your ears will have no end. And to which of the angels did God ever say, sit, sit, sit here in my right hand. I'm going to take care of these fools until you can step on them. Who, who did God ever talk like that to? And he summarizes what angels and says, are they not ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? What are they doing? They're working for the kingdom of God. What is Jesus doing? He's ruling over the kingdom of God. He's ruling over. Who do we say conquered Jerusalem in the time when Babylon conquered? We say Nebuchadnezzar did. But 
Nebuchadnezzar had a lot of jewels. How come they don't get the credit? David had a lot of officers under him. And he conquered Jerusalem. But how come they don't get all the credit? He's the man in charge. The man in charge gets the credit. And the man in charge gets the blame. We talk about D-Day. And we give Eisenhower a lot of credit for that. There's a lot of brave people who fought. And a lot of mistakes was made that people underneath had to fix. Who gets the credit? Eisenhower does. Why? Because he was in charge. You had to be careful. I believe lots of foolish literature has been written focusing on the servants of God. Focused on the Son of God. And if we don't know the Son, we won't hear God. Not in this age. He's going to get to this in the next few chapters, but if we don't hear the Son, we won't have salvation because we won't have saving faith. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing the word of God. And who is that word? That's Jesus. So we'll keep, we'll keep on meditating through the book of Hebrews. Chapter 1 is a tough one, but we'll keep breaking ground. Amen. Let's turn it. <laughs> we was ready in season and out of season.